you're listening to Arthur's Making a Podcast. This episode is titled Pull List, a new comic that made me eyes water. Let us go then, you and I. Marvel and DC just love their crossover events, and these days, at least with Marvel, just as they're winding down a big event, they're always starting one or two more. And with all these events over the decades, I always start singing the same lyrics from the Who's song, Won't Get Fooled Again. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Marvel's current event is called Judgment Day, with an AXE thrown in to mean Avengers, X-Men, Eternals event. Judgment Day is a pretty neat concept. If you've read the comics or seen the movie, you know that the Eternals are immortals sent to Earth to protect us humans from creatures that evolve or mutate to a point where they cause a serious threat to humanity's existence. Now, over the last several years, the X-Men have discovered how to bring any mutant back to life. When they die, a repository of each person's memories are put into a grown version of that mutant that is given the memories since the last download, and they, with the help of the living island of Krakoa, mutants are currently living on, well, most mutants are currently living on, some are living on Mars, uh, and certain specific mutants uh, that can bring them back to life, uh, they pop out of a cocoon. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Even I have questions like, if Wolverine pops out of a cocoon, does the newborn version of him have adamantium claws? Maybe they've explained this and I missed it, or maybe they're just making sure Wolverine doesn't die. So the mutants are keeping their secret to eternal life to themselves, but when it finally gets revealed, the Eternals are told by their gigantic alien bosses called the Celestials... Think Galactus size and you're on the right track. The Eternals are told that the mutants have evolved too far from humans. The Eternals are told to destroy all mutants. This leads to a group of mutants, the Avengers, and even a few Eternals, to team up to end this extermination. Meanwhile, at the Avengers' new base of operations, which happens to be in Antarctica... In the hollowed-out skull of a long-dead Celestial. Save your questions, please. Tony Stark has the brilliant idea of bringing the dead Celestial back from the dead to tell the Eternals to stop slaughtering mutants. Tony Stark does not have the best track record with creating life. But really, what could be worse than what's happening right now? So they bring this ancient Celestial back from the dead, and he immediately tells the Eternals to stop. He also broadcasts the entire population on Earth that we will all be visited and individually judged by him. And if more people on Earth are given the literal thumbs down than the thumbs up by him, the whole world will be sentenced to death by him. Comedy ensues. This story is also balanced in the main comic by several everyday people around the world who are introduced to us and eventually judged to see how some like you and I might react and keep it close to home for the reader. What I liked about this was seeing in each tie-in event comic book who would appear to each superhero to judge them 
and what their judgment would be, and then how the judgment would affect them. Which brings me to Amazing Spider-Man issue 10, just released September 28th, 2022, written by Zeb Wells, with art by guest artist Nick Dragata and colorist Marcio Menez, doing the interior, and regular artists John Romita Jr. and Scott Campbell doing the cover. Now, often with these crossover events, if you don't have an interest in the main event, then a lot of these tie-in issues are going to be throwaways to you. And that's what I was expecting from this. Boy, was I sucker punched. The cover shows Peter Parker kneeling in his Spidey suit, mask off, looking up with shock as Gwen Stacy, in the outfit she died in, looks down at Peter. So Gwen will be the form taken to judge Peter. The problem is, Peter doesn't know what she's judging him on. As she silently follows him around throughout his normal day, as normal as possibly your last day on Earth could be, we're shown various people in his life and how they're reacting to their inevitable judgment. J. Jonah Jameson, for instance, is running around trying to be kind to people, smiling and sweating. This is not a normal day for anyone. There are at least two moments in issue number 10 that had my eyes filling up with tears, and I can't remember the last time a comic did that to me. It was probably the comic book Stray Dogs. If you have any love for animals and or Don Bluth animated movies, run out and buy the graphic novel or comics of Stray Dogs from Image Comics. I'm pretty sure you can read the first issue of Stray Dogs for free on Image Comics' website also. Brilliantly written by Trish Forstner and beautifully drawn by Tony Fleeks. Highly recommended. Back to Zeb Wells and his Sucker Punch issue of Amazing Spider-Man 10. This, for me, was the standout new comic from September 28th, and there were a couple of extremely good ones, like The Nice House on the Lake, issue 10, which continues its haunting, mysterious brilliance, or the September 21st release of Fantastic Four issue, which I just got around to reading and definitely enjoyed. The Fantastic Four issue from last month, which was the final issue written by Dan Slott, who's been working on FF for years, was possibly the best issue of Dan Slott's run from the last couple of years. So good. I'll go into more detail on the She-Hulk Attorney at Law show in an upcoming episode, where I talk about what I liked about it and what I absolutely pissed me off about it. But last Thursday, I watched episode seven of Shulky, and it was fun, with some humorous deep cuts into Marvel's past. And when the credits rolled at the end, written by Zeb Wells popped up on the screen. I made sure to stop by Zeb Wells' booth at New York Comic Con this past weekend and talk with him and tell him the effect this Spider-Man issue had on me. Zeb told me that when he came up with that ending, it sucker punched him as well. You never know what's going to come out of you as a writer. I asked Seb Wells to sign my writer's page in my Spidey Friends and Foes sketchbook. He's my first writer in that one, and I'm glad his signature is starting that page. I would have asked writer Chris Claremont to sign it too, but his line was long the whole weekend, which makes me very happy, as I'm sure made Chris very happy as well. He deserves it. His character from the New Mutants named Karma 
was introduced in Marvel Team-Up issue 100, which starred Spidey and the Fantastic Four. Karma was co-created by Chris and, of all people, Frank Miller in that issue. Frank Miller. If you don't recognize the name, look him up and you'll definitely recognize his work. Frank was at New York Comic Con, but his lines are always pretty insane, and I was on other missions this time. Meeting your heroes at conventions is like triage. How much does it mean to meet them? How old are they? How long will their line be? How much money do I have? Do I just want to talk to them? I really have to beautiful mind it when I'm preparing for a convention. I make lists, check their respective websites and social media for their booth numbers and times, find the booths on the convention maps, so as soon as a convention opens, I can beeline to their tables in the order of the ones I either want to talk to most or get on their commission list before it fills up. Many offer a pre-commission list online, but I'll go into more detail about that in a future episode. I have four artists that are my holy grail artists. Others might call it their bucket list artists, but at the very least, I just want to meet them, go to any panels they're on, and tell them how much their work has meant to me throughout my life and to thank them. That's free, except for the cost of admission to the convention, of course. (sighs) My list has four artists on it and four comic book writers. Writer Chris Claremont and artist Bob McLeod co-creators of the New Mutants, artist Bill Sinkevich, writer-artist Walt Simonson, Walt's wife, writer Louise Simonson, and writer-artist John Byrne. I've already met and talked to Chris Claremont, Bob McLeod, Walt and his wife Wheezy. John Byrne I saw at a tribute to Kirby panel a few years ago at New York Comic Con, but I didn't speak to him, and he really does conventions anymore. And I don't ever expect to own even a little doodle by him anytime soon, if ever. Next to his name on my list, I have words in quotes as if Rogue from the X-Men was saying it to me. Not gonna happen, sugar. But Bill Sienkiewicz was scheduled to be at New York Comic Con this year, all four days. Even a simple doodle from him would have meant the world to me. Hell, just talking to him for a few minutes would have meant the world to me. Bill is my holy grail artist that I haven't had a chance to talk to or get a doodle or even a signature from. Bill co-created, along with Chris Claremont, one of my all-time favorite comic book characters, Warlock from the New Mutants. No, not Adam Warlock. While Adam Warlock is seemingly a beloved character by fans and even artists, I'm embarrassed to say I know very little about Adam Warlock. One of those blind spot characters that I was never really drawn to no pun intended. We'll all be introduced soon to Adam Warlock in the MCU, so that may change. I'll tell you all about my adventures at New York Comic Con 2022 in an upcoming episode of Arthur's Bang a Podcast, but I'm still recovering from New York Comic Con, and the serotonin levels are not fully replenished from the experience. I really wanted to record, edit, and post this as soon as possible. So I'll leave it at that for now. Until we meet again, happy trails.